Hey everyone, and welcome back to another playoff edition of Catfish Corner. The Preds made it out of their series with the Colorado Avalanche in six games. It was a nail-biter for a little bit. I'm John Garcia, here with Tennessean beat reporter Adam Vingen and Tennessean sports columnist Joe Rexrode. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Yeah, can't complain. Got another round of playoff hockey to watch and a really good series to boot, so looking forward to that. Yeah, it should be pretty exciting. So I want to get your thoughts, both of you, on the Av series, because when we were talking beforehand, we assumed that the Predators would probably win in five games. We knew that the Avalanche weren't going to be a rollover and die type of team, but I don't think anyone really expected them to give the Preds as much of a pushback as they did in the, you could say, five games, because game six was kind of a little bit of all Preds. Yeah, I think Game 6 was the only game in this series from start to finish that you saw quintessential Predators hockey in terms of the way that they played offensively, the way that they limited Colorado defensively. Pecorine was great, didn't have to really be spectacular, but swallowed up everything that got to him. I think they only had 22 shots on goal, the Avalanche, in Game 6. But the Predators, you know, to use the hockey cliché, kept their foot on the gas even after they got an early lead and and squashed the Avalanche's upset hopes, which looked like they were in good condition after Game 5 with the way that Andrew Hammond played um, in a surprise start in Game 5 in Nashville, made 44 saves, a career high. So when I look at the series as a whole, you hope that the Predators see how they played in Game 6 and that rolls over to how they play against the Winnipeg Jets because if you look at the body of work altogether in the first round. If the Predators put forth a similar effort, they probably won't have much success against Winnipeg. Now, the Predators were just good enough, in my opinion, to beat the Avalanche through five games. Um, they did just the right amount to to get by and outlast Colorado. You can't outlast Winnipeg like that. You have to be game six prepared for the entire series, um, especially since Winnipeg just blasted Minnesota in their first round series in five games. They certainly look like a Stanley Cup favorite. So something that the Predators need to keep in mind as they prepare for this series that starts Friday. I'm going to be a little more sunshiny than you, Adam, because I think if you look at the Colorado series, I think it trended in the right direction beyond game six. I think game four, the first two periods, that was the same sort of dominance. Then they, you know, they messed around. Colorado came back into that game. And they had that goalie interference call that should have been taken back, but got them within a goal. Yeah. At, at the very end. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, actually, I like the call. I just hated the call that went against the Predators previously. I right. don't think that should, but, you know, yeah, goalie interference, more fun with that in game six. But even game five was such a weird game. That was the hamburger game. And, I mean, they really were the second and third periods of that game, they were all over them, you know, and they blew it at the end and give the ass credit and them, them blame. But I think those three games represented a step forward from the first three. I think the first two games, they, they had stretches and they, they pulled away and won, but those, you, you felt that they weren't playing their best game. Then obviously game three happened. I think that was the dividing line for overall an improvement in play. Now, is it a good enough to be Winnipeg? I mean, I don't know. But, you know, maybe that game six, too. Maybe that really is. Now that it's going to end up being five days of rest anyway, maybe that really was a good thing for this team to actually have that full 60 minutes of, of what they want to do. Yeah, and you can look at it. I mean, 
Again, all due respect to the Colorado Avalanche, they played an extremely tight series, um, and they played better than I think anyone expected to them, especially when you consider that they were missing their number one goaltender, they were missing their top defenseman, and they were missing another top defenseman in Sam Girard for big stretches of that series. But that being said, they were still able to push the Predators, I don't want to say to the limit because it only went six games, and again, game six wasn't necessarily that close, but it certainly wasn't something that I think Preds fans were happy to see with. And I don't think that you should be patting yourself on the back if you're a Preds fan or if you're a Preds player that you got into the second round because that's exactly what you were supposed to do. Number one, seed president's trophy winning team is supposed to beat the eight seed and they had some trouble with it so yes you can look at the next series and the last and uh the last bits of games as okay they're getting back into the way that they're playing but until they do that in game one or game two you have to be a little bit concerned with the way that they've been playing I think that there are certain aspects of their game that need to be better. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, so if you're listening, you should see on the website later Wednesday a story about the one aspect of the series, in my opinion, that has to absolutely improve if the Predators have a chance to win the series. I and that's bet the, I know what you're going to say. Is the play of Kyle Turris's line. With Kevin Fiala and Craig Smith. No, that's not what I thought you were going to oh, say. What, what were you thinking? I was going to say disciplined hockey. Well, yes, well, we can get into that in a second. Well, yeah, so that certainly has to be better. But I feel like we've been talking about that all season. Sure. Where sometimes you just kind of have to shrug and say, well, if it hasn't gotten better by now, it's not going to get better. Though, to be fair, they were actually quite disciplined over the last couple games of the series against the Avalanche. So that's a trend in the right direction. My personal opinion, though, is that you know, for as good as the Nick Bonino line was with Colton Sissons and Austin Watson, in my opinion, the most uh, impactful line on both ends of the ice for the Predators in the first round. You know, the Kyle Turris line was noticeably absent. Mm-hmm. Um, they even had to be dissolved in Game Six, giving him a different look, putting Callie Yarncroke with Kyle and, and Craig, and moving Kevin Fiala down to the fourth line with Mike Fisher and Mika Salamaki. But you look at the Winnipeg Jets; they have a one A and one B line as well. You know, they have. Mark Shifley's line with uh, with Blake Wheeler, and they then they have Paul Stasny's line as well. You know, with the Predators, Patrick Line, yeah, hmm. Patrick That's Line, a pretty good second line. You have <laughs> you have that one A one B in Nashville as well with Ryan Johansson's line with Forsberg and Arvidsson and Turris's line with Smith and Fiala. But for a line that was so productive during the regular season, they did not combine for an even strength goal in six games, which was hard to believe considering that they were the most dynamic line, arguably for them in the second half of the season discipline certainly uh but if we're looking at something new (laughs) then i feel like that line's play needs to be drastically better in this next round it's really interesting when you look at and i was thinking about this as we went into game six you know the acquisitions for this year kyle turris big part of why the predators won the president's cup and had the regular season they did it Mm -hmm. worked out very well ryan hartman give up a first round pick and you go into that game six hartman is a healthy scratch and turris is like on the milk carton i mean what meanwhile the guy that we sort of forgot about like eh, you know nick bonino all of a sudden is like the star of the series here and that's what he does in the playoffs yeah and so does Colton Sissons. And you put them both together, and now you've got you know you've got dynamite with that line. But I couldn't agree more, Adam. I mean, that second line has got to be what they have been most of the year. Again, they flipped Fiala back during that game in Yarn Croak. And I thought Fiala did respond in that game, by the way. I thought he was noticeable, and I thought he actually looked like a good, hard-checking fourth-line player a few times in that game, which is weird to think. But... Yeah, Turris in particular, Craig Smith had a couple goals in you know, power play goals in the series, but 
Cal Turris. I mean, that guy, you know, he did not look like the player we saw all year. And then and that's absolutely got to change in this matchup. Yeah. And because you can get away with that with the Avalanche because of just their lack of depth. But as you're mentioning with, you know, Mark Shifley and Paul Stastny and then Patrick Laine, Nikolai Ehlers, Blake Wheeler. Blake Wheeler, I think, is one of the most underrated players in the National Hockey League. Yeah, uh, 68 assists this year. Is that right? Definitely. A, definitely. I feel like a dark horse MVP candidate. He I don't think he he won't be on the ultimate finalist list. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be Taylor Hall, Nathan McKinnon, and probably Andre Kopitar. But Blake Wheeler certainly deserves some credit. Watching the Western Conference over the last few years, you know, moving from the East to the West three years ago, there were a lot of players I was very unfamiliar with. Blake Wheeler was one of them. He is just a, a, a thrill to watch. That guy is as strong as a bull and can impact the game in so many ways. I, I really don't think he gets the credit he deserves, as you mentioned. Yeah, you need your center depth to show up in this series. I mean, you look at, I think the Predators overall are a deeper team than the Jets are, but I mean, man, it's close because you look at the goaltenders, like two Vesna uh, nominated goaltenders. And then, you know, you look at the defense and Dustin Bufflin is definitely nothing to sneeze at. And you look at the four depth. I mean, it's all there. And it's why this matchup is going to be such a must see game. Every matchup in this second round is going to be phenomenal hockey, I think. I look at the series that we're that we're getting. Of course, we're going to be talking about the Predators and Jets, which I wrote yesterday is essentially must-see television, but you can say that from any of the other series. Um, Of course, we have Capitals, Penguins, Redux, but regardless of how tired that series is, it's always fun to watch. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) You can't can't look away from that either. I'm intrigued by the Sharks and Knights. I think people are sleeping on the Sharks a little bit. Well, I, I wasn't sleeping on the Sharks. If you recall in our last podcast, I chose the Sharks to win that series. Up top. Up top. High five. You guys picked the Kings, though, did you? Yeah. Not? Oh, yeah. All right. Let's, so, no, let's, so that was the one blemish go. so we were, far. We were getting there. Yeah. We were so, getting there. We each get half credit for yes, that, that but, other one. But we, I didn't expect the Sharks to win in four. I didn't expect them to just absolutely crush the Ducks, especially was it in game three when mm-hmm. they didn't score eight goals or yep. something like that. It was it was insane. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting series. And then, of course, whichever team comes out of that Game 7 on Wednesday between Boston and Toronto playing Tampa, that's another really good series, too. So I think there are a lot... So we can complain all day about the NHL's playoff format, but, you know, we're getting these fantastic series in the second round, and whoever whomever advances from those four series and makes it to the conference final, those are going to be great, too, whether it's Nashville-Vegas or Washington-Tampa or... You know, Pittsburgh, Boston, or Winnipeg and and San Jose. I mean, you're going to get good series regardless of the outcome. So, you know, I'm excited to watch the one that we're going to be covering, but as well as the other ones when we have time. So speaking of that, I wanted to ask you a question, uh, something that I kind of noticed and I kind of have a theory around it. And I'd like both of your inputs, especially yours, Adam, since you've been watching this team almost every day for three years now, it looked like a couple of times in that series that the Avalanche were starting to get under the skin of the Predators several times. I mean, you saw Ryan Hartman flip out. I mean, rightfully so when you saw what happened to Ryan Hartman with Sven Andrigetto. I've noticed that the Predators have also started to kind of get a little bit of uh, like edgy play as well. And I'm curious if that's because I mean, you look at the teams that they've been playing in the playoffs recently. It's been the Anaheim Ducks who are a really dirty team. The Pittsburgh Penguins who can borderline play on that. You can the St. Louis Blues 
who play like a hard hitting hockey. And I'm wondering if because of all this playoff experience against these teams that play on the edge, if the Predators are starting to kind of move over to that way as well. The dark side? Yeah. And but like embrace your hatred, Luke. And you think of the Jets, too, with, you know, Dustin Bufflin and some of the players on that. I mean, I feel like this series could get very out of hand. I guarantee there's going to be at least one suspension in this this series. One of my favorite moments from Predators Jets during the regular season, I believe it was in the last game against Winnipeg in Winnipeg on March 25th. There was a scrum behind the net, and P.K. Subban started gesturing to Mark Shifley like they were going to fight, like sitting there shaking his gloves and then just bailed. You know, he just likes to stir up trouble, P.K., when that comes to that sometimes. But, yeah, I wouldn't be as sure about the suspension, but I certainly think there's going to be some sort of hit we're going to be talking about. And now I'm hoping that our Winnipeg counterparts in the in the media well, you know, won't find everything wrong with the Predators and say it should be suspendable like our Denver compatriots did yeah. during the first round. Seemingly everything wrong, everything physical that the Predators did in the first round, Denver media were cl- was clamoring for a suspension. Ryan Johansson <laughs> on Tyson Barry. P.K. Subban and Nathan McKinnon. They did get one. Ryan Hartman. Well, they didn't really complain about that one, and that was the suspension. Ryan the the Ripper. Maybe that one was so blatant. I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of the Johansson hit, but I didn't think it was... It's suspension worthy because I think it was just Tyson Berry was in an awkward position and yeah. if his elbow were, yeah. were extended then no I he think, he tried he's kind yeah. of tried to get away and he tucked in yeah. and there's not really it's yeah. hockey there's not really much you can do with the that. NHL Department of Player Safety last week released this video sort of giving like their insight into why certain things were suspendable versus not and they mm-hmm. actually talked about the Johansson hit on Tyson Berry if I recall correctly it's that even that. Ryan, the main point of contact for the hit was through the chest right. of Tyson Berry. And mm-hmm. with the position that he found himself in, that's why he spun in such a way as a result of the impact. Uh, but his head did not snap back at any point, which is something that they pointed out in terms of what they look for to determine whether the head was the main point of contact. There was no whiplash-like effect on Tyson Berry neck, from his neck when, when that hit happened. So that's why they felt like it wasn't uh, requiring extra discipline. I kind of make fun of those videos sometimes because they don't really tell you much, but I thought that that was actually very informative because we always talk about like the principal point of contact or where was the initial point of contact. And they say, though, that has nothing to do with the rule because you can have some head contact, but it still not be the main point of contact. And that's not suspension. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think a headshot is a headshot. And if there's any contact with their, you know, for taking concussions right. seriously, which the NHL does not, then if there's any contact to the head, regardless, it should be called. But And I know. thought the Doughty suspension was an example of, well, okay, that, that wasn't a lot and it's a star and they suspended him. So, I mean, like, I thought that was a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And that's what the you're precedent. saying. Yeah. And so there was some confusion over, well, then why? But I do think there's a little bit of a difference between that one and Johansson. Still, though, I'm with you. I mean, if you really want to get serious and any incidental or not to me is just you got to clean it up. That's how you clean it up is you actually you, you give players a deterrent. Yeah. And uh, we'll be looking for a lot of columns and words written on the next Dustin Bufflin hit because he can deal them out. <laughs> well, he's and he's one of those guys that he's so big and powerful that like it's it's almost like, you know, like in basketball, if like the huge guy just sort of touches like Shaquille O'Neal kind of runs over a guy and it's like, well, it's a foul on Shaquille. He didn't really do anything. <laughs> so, but now Bufflin actually does go out there and harm people. But like, yeah, it. it, it it always looks like he's crushing because he's just so big and powerful. But yeah, I agree with you, John. I think this series will be chippy. It will be physical. I bet you there'll be a suspension. We'll be talking about a bunch of hits. 
But there is still a standard that this series, I don't know if this series can reach, and that is Preds Anaheim Ducks. So, I mean, that, you know, the, I, I, it's I, hard to reach that level. I, of I agree dislike. because the, the Jets don't have, like, they have those types of players, but I don't think as many of those types of players. But boy, I think it could get close. I really do. I just don't know who, like, who is the potential Nashville enemy that, you know, that a Ryan Kessler or Corey Perry. Are for the Ducks. I certainly think Dustin Bufflin is. He's your t- no, top, top candidate. He may be atop the list. I, I st- I'm, I'm thinking about the rest of the roster. You may look at someone ran, like this is just a random one. Andrew Cop, who who had a huge hit on Yarncroak. On Yarncroak that took him out of the lineup for more than a month. Yeah, those fourth liners sometimes, you know. I, mean, I think Blake Wheeler. I mean, he's not he's not a nasty player, but he's a really really good one and a physical one. I mean, he you may just. It's one of those things sort of like with Sidney Crosby. You hate him because he's so good and you just have to – it's sort of like begrudging respect. Like I feel like Blake Wheeler sort of inhabits that same space. Like No one does that better than Brad Marchand too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you're going you're gonna to curse Blake Wheeler's name but probably because he's doing really well and, and not helping your cause if you're a Predators fan. Yeah, and Perry and Kessler are the same way. They're good too. They're not just you know, grunts well, Kessler, out there. Kessler yeah. is, a, is a unique case. Uh, well, Defensive it, forward. Yes, he is a – Shift disturber to the utmost degree. I emphasized the F in shift, so he's going to get in trouble. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think Blake Wheeler, but I think Dustin Bufflin probably because he's just a big physical dude. I mean, one of my favorite things to watch in these series is whenever there's off, whenever there's a faceoff and Bufflin's defensive pair is out against Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg because you have Victor Arvidsson sitting next to Dustin Bufflin. Run away! Size, run away! <laughs> probably a size yeah. difference of at least forty pounds, forty to fifty pounds, and a couple of my, inches. My, I, I bet you. I mean, Dustin Bufflin's two sixty, right? What is Arvidsson? He's like one eighty. <laughs> Not there might 260. be like an eighty pound difference between <laughs> yeah. those guys. Okay, maybe I was selling him a little <laughs> bit short, but it's you know, Dustin Bufflin is a is a heck of a hockey player, and uh, I don't think Predators fans like him all, don't like him already. So I'm sure it just will ratchet up over the course of the series. So. I want to get your guys' predictions, and we all have Nashville going to the Stanley Cup final, if I remember but you correctly. can always change round around, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to because okay. I'm, I'm sticking with what I have, but I'm curious if you guys feel like maybe your prediction from earlier before the playoffs started is not as solid as it once was, or if you expect the Predators to get out of that malaise that they had against the Avalanche and steamroll the Jets. Well, I, don't, I never expected them to steamroll the Jets anyway, so I think I look at it the same way. Like, this just, to me, screams of a seven-game series. Um, I think I think before game six, though, I was probably drifting toward, yeah, I don't know if these guys are going to beat the Jets. And then I saw game six, and so I, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i stick with, I don't think there's any steamrolling that happens in this series. I'm going to go Predators in seven and, and just the home ice making the difference, the, the experience making a difference. They definitely have more experience in, in these kind of situations and the coaching. Not that Paul Maurice isn't a really good coach, but I think Peter Laviolette, again, those tweaks, we were kind of wondering about that going to game six. Like, eh, interesting. So you're going to scratch Hartman, you bring Salamaki back in, you move Fiala to the fourth line. I don't know. Hey, whatever he did, it along with those moves, he elicited a, a terrific effort and, and he seems to have a knack for that. So those things, and you know, defense core is better, but it's very close, uh, but I, I will I will stick with Preds in seven. I I'm wavering on my previous selection just because of how dominant the Jets were in the first round. I think Game Three, notwithstanding, where they got 
steamroll, to use Joe's words, against the Minnesota Wild. Now, I understand that the Wild played that entire series without Ryan Suter and most of it without Zach Parise, but I was incredibly impressed with how the Jets played throughout that series. I think the most impressive was game four. They went to, you know, they, they got creamed in Minnesota and then came back in game four and then won a shutout hockey game. And Connor Hellebuck had consecutive shutouts in games four and five. I think it all comes down to home ice advantage in this series. My my bold prediction for this series is if that the if the Predators lose a game at Bridgestone Arena, one, they're losing this series. They have they have to maintain home ice advantage. They have to win at least if they play four home games, they got to win them all mm-hmm. because the Jets have not lost at home since the Predators beat them the day after the trade deadline. That was February 27th. So they've won 12 consecutive home games if you include the playoffs. You know that arena Bell MTS Place is now what it's called. It used to be called MTS Center. Maybe my favorite road atmosphere in the league. You know, the Winnipeg Whiteout is going to be in full force. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But all told, I think the Jets are too good of a home team that if they were able to steal one at Bridgestone, I think they win the series. Just one. This is not a prediction, Adam. I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm setting up my prediction. I do think the Jets win at least one game at Bridgestone. I do. So, you know, I think the Predators... I think inspired some confidence in the way they played game six against Colorado, but I'm still just not, I just overall was just not emboldened by their effort in the first round overall. I think the Jets win this one in seven. I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you at the same time. So the reason I'm going to disagree with you is because I just can't waver from the prediction I made at the onset of the playoffs, I still am going to hold strong to Nashville making the Stanley Cup final. And I think they can get past this Winnipeg Jets team. Although what I'm agreeing with you is that I am not as uh, confident with them as I was previous to the Avalanche series. I think that there are very many uh, avenues that can see them lose this series in six or seven games, depending on how how it goes. Now, I don't know if I will necessarily go so far as to say whatever, like if the Jets win one game at Bridgestone Arena in the first two games that they will win the series. But I will say, and again, kind of agreeing with you that whoever wins game two wins the series. Interesting. Hmm, okay. So so Jets win game one, Predators even it up. You, you, you I think that they have the momentum okay. To, okay. to carry them through, even if it they slip swap, uh, which is what a if, term I just made Nashville up. Nashville wins game one and Winnipeg wins game two, going back to Winnipeg. Then yeah, I just yeah. Said, then they, they, then they Winnipeg did, yes. can have the momentum to go uh, back. I think I think the biggest thing is again Winnipeg stealing that home ice advantage from Nashville and winning a game in Bridgestone Arena, which is crucial for them. Yeah. But I think it also depends on when they do it because hmm. Nashville's a good enough team to win in Winnipeg. Yes, and they have. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the Predators have success against Winnipeg. They won three of five. Um, we saw the game earlier this season where they scored two shorthanded goals and less than 60 seconds and we're up three, nothing in the first period. And uh, I think Michael Hutchinson started that game and then Connor Hellebuck had to come in in relief. And Connor Hellebuck, by the way, has not fared well against Nashville this year. I mean, I know it's the regular season, but they've, they have not had a problem with him. So I wonder, I wonder if they're able to, if they're able to have that same success and, and Joe's right. Connor Hellebuck hasn't been great against Nashville, but he was good in the first round and, 
Pecorine, if you look at his overall numbers against the Avalanche, they weren't great. But ignore the full series and look at the last three games. He had a one, like 1.5 goals against and a 950 save percentage and, of course, a shutout. Yeah, and even in the first couple of games when his numbers weren't great, he was still making saves when it really counted. And that's, I mean, the reason that they were 2-0 ahead is because he was stopping McKinnon and he was stopping Rantanen on breakaways. I mean, his numbers weren't great, but he still made the saves that kept Nashville in the game. I was very interested. I was very interested going to Denver, going, I was actually after game three when Pekka was pulled, how many people on social media were concerned about Pecorine? Like, what is happening to him? Like, get, I think the one thing throughout the entire series that the Predators made sure to hammer home, and I'm not really sure as to why they felt the need to do this on a regular basis. The Avalanche are a good, the Avalanche are slash were a good hockey team. Were they to the Predators level? No. But they were a good hockey team with one of the best lines in the NHL, and Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, and Miko Rantanen. Peter Laviolette went out of his way multiple times to say there, and, and even some other, and even some players as well. I remember Austin Watson after Game Five saying, "You know, there is another team on the other side of the ice. I'm not sure if you guys know that or not." The the, the Predators should be better than them. They ultimately were. You know, they felt as if they needed to to express the fact that they respect the Avalanche. I'm not really sure why they needed to do that. I no, I, that, that's a great point. I got some thoughts on that. One is I think that's one of the reasons I'm picking them in this series because they can get away from the very uncomfortable scenario they're in, which is you're just supposed to roll through this opponent. That's the first time they've ever – this franchise has ever dealt with that in the playoffs, right? Yeah. And, and Peter Laviolette, we know, last year liberally used the other thing. I mean, he was like, hey, no one thinks you – know, Chicago, you have no chance. I mean, he even, he even admitted to using it, kind of joked like, yeah, I might have used that. I mean, like he's big on that. So when you're in the other side of that – you hate that. And so, yes, Peter Laviolette perceived us as disrespecting the Avalanche or whatever. But I think more it was them being uncomfortable with everyone just saying, oh, you're just going to roll through this team and beat them. So and now they get to be again like, hey, who knows who could win this series? And I do think that's big. For and you, you wrote in one of your columns, it wasn't disrespect of the Avalanche. It was respect for the Predators yeah. and everything that they've done this season. Right. It wasn't exactly. a slight or a slap to the face of the Avalanche. It was the Predators were the best team in the league. They should win this series with with respect to the Avalanche. It's just not in their future to probably win this series, and they did. But they were they gave the Predators all they could handle. Their future is incredibly bright. You know, we were talking about this as we were leaving the arena that night. Joe I was thinking about the Central Division as a whole and thinking about which teams are on the rise and which ones aren't. And I and I said to Joe that there's nothing that I have. No, there's nothing that I've seen that convinces me that the Blackhawks are not going to finish in last place in the central division again next year. (laughs) Amazing, but hard to argue. Predators are on on the rise. The jets are on the rise. The abs are on the rise. The wild are sort of neutral. And it'll depend on what their new GM does. Um, I think the blues are sort of neutral, but maybe leaning towards down stars are sort of neutral. And I think the, the, I think the Blackhawks are really the only team that you could unequivocally say are on the downturn. Wouldn't be surprised to see another playoff less spring at Chicago next year. But the Colorado Avalanche, I was really impressed by that team. And I think the Predators are better served with the way the series went. I mean, if you want to flip it around and say, well, they didn't do as well as they should have in terms of finishing off the Avalanche overall, you can say, well, now they they were tested by a young team, a fast team that that has some similarities to Winnipeg. They're not physical like Winnipeg, but they play very fast. And I think the Predators will take that experience from that first round and, and move it to the second round. I think that could be good if you're looking for the other side of the argument. Sure. I think that it's going to be one heck of a series. How how different would it be if this were – this could be like 
the you know southeastern rivalry series between the Atlanta Thrashers and Nashville Predators. You know, so I've got to find like the diehard Thrashers fan who they're yeah they're, they're yeah. I, they still exist. I, I, there may be a jersey or two being thrown on the ice. That hasn't happened in a couple of years, but I saw some people chatting on social media about bringing the chop to Bridgestone Arena. Possibly, you know, Braves Braves fans doing that. But and now they, and, and now Thrashers fans can actually get tickets right because they're in the technically in the viewing area is that right they may be on the outskirts of the viewing area yeah that, you gotta find that out because obviously i know winnipeg fans you know they because of the predators restrictions but if you're an atlanta person yes. or at least nearby and you're a thrashers enthusiast who now still loves the jets maybe you can get in there well it's it's funny because my one of my favorite like quirky things about the nhl in my time covering it was the one year after the Thrashers relocated to Winnipeg, but they hadn't they hadn't realigned the division, so the Southeast Division was Washington, Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay, and Winnipeg. Like <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that um, because there's nothing Southeast about Winnipeg at all. It's not even in Southeast Canada. No, and they had to play all those teams like five times a season. Right, it was it was I had to imagine it was awful for travel, but the. Jets 2.0, I mean, game one, their game one victory against the Wild was the franchise's first playoff win because in their previous two trips to the Cup playoffs, they were swept. The Thrashers were swept by the Rangers and the Jets were swept by the Ducks. First first playoff victory, Jets 2.0, first series victory. Like, you look at the experience factor. I, I I know that you mentioned that, Joe. For some reason, like, I don't count that experience factor as much in this series for some reason. Just because I feel like the Jets just have a lot of veteran players, even though they don't have maybe... Well, and Bufflin has been there, so there's a guy. Uh, But, you know, like Blake Wheeler and and Brian Little and and players like that, you know, they have experience. It's not vast experience, but they are very experienced overall, which I think sort of mitigates the fact that they don't have as much playoff success, but... No, it's going to be a heck of a series. Um, you know, everyone was sort of clamoring for it even before the season ended, and now we're finally going to get it. I don't know why we have to wait until Friday, but we don't even know what the I mean, rest yeah, of the schedule as of, is. As of this recording, we have no idea when Game 2 is going to be, or any of the yeah, other it, games have to Well, that. Game 2 is going to be Sunday, for sure. Mm-hmm. We don't know the time of, of that, but then after that, yeah, we don't we don't know. I assume, I believe, it's Tuesday, Thursday, and then on and on, but you know, you've got the NBA and NHL right now as a problem, you know, because you have the Raptors are alive and you have the Celtics and you have the, so, you know, yeah, I think as of, I believe as of late Wednesday night, we will actually get full series, but yeah, how frustrating to wait that long to get one game that's actually scheduled. You and know? I just, based on looking at the Bridgestone arena calendar, I think that it will be every other day, unless there's a game seven, because I think there are going to be two days in between six and seven. Cause you could do every other day with game six in Winnipeg, being on Monday, May 7th, but there's a concert, Justin Timberlake, May 9th at Bridgestone. Can't mess with JT. Yeah, boot him. It's fine, JT. boot him. Yeah. No, <laughs> no one will be mad about that, right? I'm, I say that with heavy sarcasm. He's no, he's no Jeff Dunham. You know? yeah. he he's no Iron Maiden. No. Yeah. You, can't move, you can't move JT. So And Foo uh, Fighters are coming too, right? Friday. So, yeah, so no, that'll it, work it out. No CMA, CMA t- Fest either. They booted them last year for the final. Yeah. I don't remember if they booted anyone else. Last year there was there was a Drake is it Uh, Chris Brown Chris Brown that's what it was and this year the you know Jeff Dunham Dunham. yeah but yeah there's a game seven there's going to be a two there's definitely going to be a two day break uh, you know eighth and ninth which is fine a little extra build up for that one yeah that's fine but we'll see if it get we both think it's going to get there so and so you think just to close you think that they will lose game seven then is that right. 
I think at home. I, yeah, I think if the well, they could split the home games. They you know the Jets could win two, four, and six, and the Predators could win one, two, and five, and it'd be three, three that way. But I do think that sort of what John was saying before that if the Jets are able to win one of those first three Predators home games, especially one of the ones in games one and two. You know, I, I'm not sure that they're going to win the games in Winnipeg. I'm just, I'm not as, I'm not as strong about my pick as we did a couple weeks ago. So, so hopefully, game one will be uh, the Predators' redemption in Adam Vingen's eyes. Yes. So <laughs> we will be here to give all you all the out. coverage. Uh, you can follow Adam Vingen at Adam Vingen. You can follow Joe Rexroad at Joe Rexroad. We'll be back with another Catfish Corner at the end of this series, regardless whether it's a postmortem on the Jets or a postmortem on the Nashville Predators. So we will see you then.